two men of color vanished after last being seen in the same deputy's patrol car. I knew something was wrong. My mother knows. It's the strangest case, the most unsettling case. Listen to The Last Ride podcast, part of the NPR Network. From KMUW Studios and part of the NPR Podcast Network, this is Books and Whatnot. I'm Suzanne Perez, KMUW's resident book reviewer. And I'm Beth Golay, host of KMUW's Marginalia podcast. This episode was recorded on May 22nd, 2023. Any references to new or forthcoming and the like are relative. Hey, Beth. Hello. How are you? I'm well. How are you? I'm doing okay. I'm doing okay. You know, it's getting into sort of summer reading season. A little bit. It is. I'm, it, I mean, we're at, at the tail end of school, and yeah. that, do, that does feel like summer is here, even if we're a month early. <laughs> I know. And even if we um, are not necessarily, although you take undergrad class, but even people who aren't necessarily students, I don't know. There's still something about the feel of, I still remember that last day of school and knowing you had like a whole summer ahead of you mm-hmm. to do whatever you wanted, even though I don't get that now. Right. But it still feels like the opportunity is there for some reason. Exactly. So I thought later, a little bit after we talk about our current reads today, I thought we might just talk about how we gear up for summer reading. Oh, that sounds like fun. Yeah. Okay. Well, I have a feeling this is going to be the Suzanne show because <laughs> da, 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 da. <laughs> Suzanne has read, I feel like you've read far more titles than I have this go around. Well, you know, reading ebbs and flows, and I happen to be on a roll, but also because I now do reviews every week. That's the right. The pressure is on. I used to do reviews, that, which are on. <laughs> <laughs> My reviews can be found on KMUW.org. Um, I used to do them every other week, and they were like, well, how about every week? And I was like, yeah, sure, why not? And then I, <laughs> until, until the first, until week number three in a row, and I was like, wait a second, I have to read more to do this. But anyway, let's hope it let's hope my my trend continues it feels good to you know do you not have a greater sense of accomplishment I do of course I do and it is nice to just be able to tell people hey look for my reviews every Monday that's right KMUW so and it um I don't know you know I need to be held accountable (laughs) I need a deadline I need a goal so it's all good so what have you been reading Suzanne um I've read a lot but the first one I want to talk about um my Review is on KMUW.org. It's The Light Pirate by Lily Brooks Dalton. Have you read this, Beth? I have not. Okay, here's what happened with this book. It came out in early December, and it's literary fiction. It was a weird publication date for this book. I don't know why it would be published in the middle of the holiday rush, the holiday shopping season. I believe it was an indie next pick. I believe it was the Indie, what's the what's the number one pick? Uh, the, the number one Indie yeah. Next pick. <laughs> yeah, that's what they call it. <laughs> that's what it was for December, but it completely flew under my radar. I was not aware of it until recently, and I had heard about it on a couple of podcasts and that sort of thing. Anyway, this, I had not, I'm not familiar with Lily Brooks Dalton's work. It is the story of Wanda. It's climate fiction. It was actually one of the categories in last year's Read ICT Challenge, a cli-fi book. Mm -hmm. Climate fiction sort of focuses on the effects of climate change and global warming and all of these things. And that is certainly at the center of the plot of this book. What's happening here in The Light Pirate is it's near future dystopia where climate change is battering the coast of Florida. There is hurricane after hurricane that's category four and five many many more storms are coming when 
we start this book, a family is preparing for a big hurricane. Um, Frida is pregnant uh, very soon to give birth to her first child. And her husband is a lineman, basically, who works uh, to bring back power when storms go out. So he's on call. They're not evacuating. The storm comes in. All hell breaks loose, basically. And Frida gives birth to Wanda during the essentially the eye of this storm. A lot else happens, but I don't want to give too many spoilers away. It puts you into the story so suddenly and so well. You just are on the edge of your seat during all of these scenes. But essentially, this is the birth of our main character, who we then follow through the novel. And we also follow the decimation of the coast of Florida. Eventually, it you know, the water rises to the point where cities can no longer function. It wipes Florida off the map, but this particular character lives on hmm. and it adapts and finds ways to survive. I cannot tell you how much I enjoyed this book. Oh, it was interesting. a five-star book for me. I did listen on audio, Libro FM. I highly recommend the audio because it's so propulsive. And I think I want to bring it up today because I think it would be a wonderful summer read. First of all, you've got you know, Florida and the heat and global warming. And there's a lot of talk about how hot it gets dangerously, dangerously hot. But I just think it would be a great, great read for the summer. I want to say, too, there's a little touch of magical realism in it, but not enough to turn you off if those kinds of things turn you off. It's just uh, Wanda has some characteristics that, that help her adapt to her new environment. There's also really, really poignant moments. The character development in this is fantastic. A couple of teary moments for me. It was wonderful. That is The Light Pirate by Lily Brooks Dalton. Okay. My first read is um, a book by an actor named Rain Wilson. Oh, my gosh. It's Dwight Schrute. It's Dwight Mm. from The Office. Um, He wrote a book called Soul Boom, Why We Need a Spiritual Revolution. And, you know, I interviewed him. Every book that I'm talking about today, I've I've interviewed the author. And so... This was just, it was such a fascinating read because it was so unexpected for me. I had no idea that Rain Wilson was so deep and so spiritual and so well-read and just so intelligent. I don't mean that as an insult, but it, it blew me away. Because um, you just sort of think of celebrities as, yes, you know, just exactly, celebrities. Exactly. But he is so well, I mean, he, he studied all of the great religions. His father really played a, a huge role in, I keep wanting to say Dwight's life, a huge role <laughs> That's in, how we all know him. in Rain's life. And so this was just a, a book that he wrote during COVID. And it was it was fascinating. One thing that captured my attention early on was he talked about, you know, a lot of his life. He is in front of the camera, but, you know, he also grew up watching television and so a lot of his life is informed by television and he talked about how there are two 1970s shows that illuminate two spiritual paths in front of us one is the personal journey and that is illustrated by the tv show kung fu and then the other one is the spiritual evolution of the species which is illustrated by star trek and so to, I don't know. I asked him about that specifically, and it was fascinating to me. I love a good allegory. <laughs> well, you know, in Star Trek, and see, I haven't watched either of these shows, but I, apparently in Star Trek, I mean, yes, I have watched Star Trek, but I'm not a Trekkie. Right. So it, I, I don't claim to be well-versed in it at all. I'll tell you, I only recently became even aware of Kung Fu, side note, 
Andy watched it as a child. He had it running on our TV recently, and I was like, "What is this?" Because it is, you know, cheesy, a cheesy yeah. '70s kung fu uh, show. And he was like, "You're you never watch kung fu." Come to find out, I asked my older brothers if they watched kung fu, and they say, "Oh yeah, we watched kung fu, but you weren't allowed to because it was too violent." Oh wow. <laughs> anyway, but yes, I could totally see how that would be a spiritual yes. journey. Well, and like with Star Trek, you know, we after World War Three, we have figured out how to have peace on Earth. And so we go out to, you know, spread that message to the universe. And so I don't know, it was really interesting. I've received a lot of feedback from listeners on it. So if you if you're interested in Dwight at all, or spiritual evolution or anything, uh, go listen to my interview and then p- perhaps pick up Soul Boom by, by Rain Wilson. Yeah, and that, that Marginalia interview was fantastic. And I will add that, you know, I was a fan, I am a fan of The Office, but you don't have to be a fan of The Office to appreciate this book or that interview. So Exactly. Well, thank you. Good job. So what's what's next on your list? Well, I thought I would sort of capsulize some of the books I've read that you can find on kmuw.org. You can uh, get my reviews there. Those are Symphony of Secrets by Brendan Slocum. I think you're going to be talking about that a little bit later. I am. And Paper Names by Susie Lau. I need to apologize, too, to Susie Lau because I believe I mispronounced her name in my review. (laughs) So uh, Symphony of Secrets and Paper Names. To find out more about those books, go see my review online. But I also wanted to talk about Demon Copperhead, which I also reviewed recently. Newly awarded Pulitzer Prize winner for fiction, along with Trust Trust, by Hernan Diaz. Um, But I finally tackled Demon Copperhead. It was intimidating to me because it was so big. And it was a Barbara Kingsolver book. And I don't know why I was intimidated because I had read the Poisonwood Bible many years ago and others of her work. But I had also heard that it was inspired by David Copperfield, the Charles Dickens novel, and I had never read that. So I thought, you know how it is when mm-hmm. people say, oh, this is based on you know, Antigone or whatever, and you're like, I'm not <laughs> smart enough for this book. I better well, go back to school. <laughs> <laughs> no kidding. So I, but I picked it up because it had gotten so many raves, including from our friends at Flint Hills Books mm-hmm. in uh, Council Grove. Anyway, Demon Copperhead by Barbara King Solver is the story of a boy. His actual name is Damon, but he goes by Demon Copperhead. He grows up in southern Appalachia, and it reminded me, Beth, of A Prayer for Owen Meany, which, as you know, is my all-time favorite novel. Again, because of the story of one boy growing up and coming of age, but also that voice and Owen Meany was all about the voice, mm-hmm. of course. But and in this case, I don't mean it literally, although in a way I do because I listened to it on audio and the voice was incredibly apt and the, the accent, which just really brought a lot to the story. But the voice of this novel is so distinctive and so memorable, unforgettable, I would say. This deals very accurately and openly with the opioid crisis and the very beginnings of that. There's not a lot you can say about it that won't be too spoilery, so I won't dwell on it, but I just wanted to encourage people to pick this book up. It is on the long side. It's kind of a thick book, but so worth it, and it reads really quickly, actually. So I just wanted to put in another recommendation, as if it needs any, (laughs) for the Pulitzer Prize-winning book, Demon Copperhead by Barbara Kingsolver. Okay, so my next one is... 
you know, I've been waiting to talk with this author for 10 years. It's Abraham Verghese. (laughs) It's been a minute. It's been a minute. He wrote Cutting for Stone. I loved that book. I'm almost afraid to go back and read it because what if I don't love it as much? (laughs) I'm pretty sure you would, but I know the feeling. (laughs) And so many, um, you know, so many other people have loved that book. So it's not, it's not just me, right? So that was 10 years ago that Mm -hmm. came out? It was, yes. And so his newest book uh, is called The Covenant of Water. It is longer than... It's a chonker. It is. What was it? 750 pages, I think? More than seven, I know. Was it eight? No, I mean, it was was in the 700s. Yeah. You know, I don't even know how to talk about this book, honestly. It's set in India. It's a, uh, you know, the first person we meet is this young girl who has been um, put into an arranged marriage with a man much older than she is. But it basically follows their life, their children's lives. There's this family curse, if you will, that involves water. The novel incorporates, you know, deep family secrets. It touches on colonialism and, and caste structures. And it also, because Abraham Verghese is, a, he's a doctor, he, he teaches medicine. He was able to weave in his own medical background into the narrative. And that was fascinating. It is more than 700 pages. Every page is worth it. I mean, his writing is just so exquisite to me. I remember asking him just, you know, how much sorrow can one family take? Because I found myself in tears and he found himself in tears as well. When he had his partner read, when she would read it back to him, he would get choked up every once in a while. So it was, I don't know, if you, I don't want to say if you need a heavy book, but you know, sometimes you do need a heavy book to ground you. Mm -hmm. This is worth it. This, and you know, this might take you, all summer to read it. It might take you three days to read it. I don't know. Try it. It's it's just an, an amazing book, The Covenant of Water by Abraham Verghese. Download it on your e-reader so you don't have to carry it around in your exactly. book bag, in, in your in your beach bag. But but it's that's that seems like a good one. You know, just touching on something you had said a little bit ago. Uh, you know, there were references in this book to Moby Dick and to Dickens, oh. and so I asked him, um, it, you know, what authors influenced him as a as a writer. And he said he's had a lifelong friendship with John Irving. And at first I thought, well, I've had a lifelong friendship with John Irving. As have I. (laughs) But no, I think you meant they they have had a lifelong friendship. They've actually talked to each other? (laughs) Wow. Well, that's different than my friendship with John Irving. (laughs) Anyway, that's um, The Covenant of Water by Abraham (laughs) Verghese. Okay, so my next one is a nonfiction little self-help book of sorts. Um, It's called The Life Council, 10 Friends Every Woman Needs by Laura Tremaine. She used to have a podcast called 10 Things to Tell You, where the the whole point was, you know, she would go over these 10 things and then encourage people to share their 10 things or share what they think on that topic. She also had a previous book called Share Your Stuff, I'll Go First. She's married to Johnny Tremaine, who's the producer of the Jackass movies, which is odd. But anyway, so, but she's delightful podcaster. That's how I know her. And then this book came along and I thought, well, first of all, it's only like about 200 pages. It was a really, really quick read. And it's an interesting look at friendship and how we develop friendships. She says really early in the book that people will talk about, oh, I married my best friend. My spouse is my best friend and all of this. And she says very pointedly, they don't need to be and perhaps they should not be. That you need 
relationships and friendships outside of that one because all these different kinds of people in your life bring something to your life. You know, I looked at the title and it's like 10 friends every woman needs. Well, if you think about those as your very, very best friends, that's a lot. <laughs> that's mm-hmm. not, but she talks about sort of different categories of friends. So there are ones like the war buddy. That's the friend you make when you're going through something hellacious. It could be a cancer treatment. And this is the friend you make where you go for treatment or whatever. And it's this very, very intense and could be almost a seasonal type friendship. And then you have friends like the business bestie. That's your, you know, some people call them work spouses or work friends. Then these would be people who are great friends at work, but maybe you don't hang out all the time on your days off or on your off time. So there are all these different types of friends. And she sort of sees her network of friends as her life counsel. And she encourages people to, you know, you don't have to have every seat on your life council filled, but to think about it in those terms that you have the old friend who knew you from way back in high school and knows the changes you've been through. You have your friends who you might have made because and around your kids' lives. So it was it was really, really interesting. It wasn't hugely, you know, life-changing, but it did help me think about how you make friends and keep friends and sort of what to, you know, look for in friends and to, to sort of be comfortable with knowing that different friends are going to play different roles in your life. I thought it was hugely helpful. That is so interesting because I do, I mean, I have a lot of friends, but they are on different levels and different categories. Yeah, you, you sort of think about them as circles because it's so, so funny. Sometimes I talk about my circles colliding mm. and I'll see someone out of context when I'm with someone else and I almost don't even recognize them, right. you know what I mean? Friendship is a thing we don't often really think about. There's a lot of talk and a lot of a lot written about love relationships or those kinds of things, but we don't talk a lot about what we need to do to make and keep friends, especially as adults. So anyway, that was The Life Council, 10 Friends Every Woman Needs by Laura Tremaine. My next one is a book by Juan Gabriel Vazquez and it's called Retrospective. I had interviewed him for a book in 2015 called Reputations, and I loved that interview so much that I immediately just said yes to this one without even <laughs> knowing what it was about. And it, it was fascinating in that this is a novel, but he did not make up anything. It's a novel about a Colombian filmmaker named Sergio Cabrera, and he is Juan Gabriel Vazquez's real-life friend. Vasquez had always admired Cabrera, and then their paths crossed when one of them was living in Spain and the other one was living in Portugal. And then when they both returned home to Colombia, they became like friends after that. And Cabrera is so fascinating. I mean, we learn about his his life through his father's life, you know, all of the different just military regimes they were part of. They lived in well, it started out in like fascist Spain, and then whatever was happening down in Colombia, and then they moved to China. You would think that this would be made up, but all of this actually happened to this filmmaker. What I love about Juan Gabriel Vazquez, other, you know, in addition to his accent, his voice, yeah, (laughs) is that, you know, I'm talking to him, I'm speaking with him in English about a book that he originally wrote in Spanish. 
and it was later translated by like Anne McLean into English. And it just it's just the fascinating conversation that we have. Yeah, that, you know, his, I remember the first interview you had with him and how impressive that was. I, I haven't, uh, again, I'm just so embarrassed. I haven't read either. There's too many books in the world, Beth. Yes. I haven't read any of his, but your interviews definitely make me want to pick them up. Or just listen to the interviews. Exactly. That's <laughs> <laughs> just listen to him. That's Retrospective by Juan Gabriel Vazquez. Great. My next one is a little controversial. Okay, like, let's say a lot controversial. It is Genderqueer, a memoir by Maya Kobabi. Uh, this has been the most challenged banned book of recent history. It's a graphic memoir. The author of this book is non-binary and asexual. I picked it up because of its controversy. I wanted to know what all the fuss was about. I had seen parts of the book displayed or talked about in any number of school board meetings and other public meetings. You know, I've said this before. I think that when books are challenged, sort of went through this with The Absolutely True Diary of a Part-Time Indian by Sherman Alexie. When books are challenged, I think the least you can do before you have an opinion on it is to read it. Mm -hmm. All that to say, that's why I picked it up. And it was a learning experience for me. It was, I thought, a very courageous look at this person's journey. The author talks about just what was going through their mind when certain things happened through their childhood. And there are parts of this book that can be seen as sexually explicit. Very, very little of the book deals with that. And I think it's in context. It is appropriate because the author is talking about their feelings about all these things that they're struggling with and just not having a name for it, not having any kind of definition for what's going on. You could sense the angst and the struggle that this person dealt with all through their growing up years. And you could also sense that this author wanted other teens and you know young adults who might be experiencing this to see themselves in a book, to see their feelings validated, to, to see something and to think, oh, it's not just me. I'm not a weirdo. I'm not alone. Other people go through this. That's the whole point of these empathy building type books, I think. The author and the publisher have always been very clear that this is geared to late teens and up. We're talking 14-year-olds and up who might be going through these struggles. I ended up being just very glad I read it. I want to put in a quick plug, and because it reminded me, my experience reading this book reminded me of when I read This Is How It Always Is by Laurie Frankel, a novel about a family dealing with a trans, very young child, a kindergarten trans child. It just gives you a perspective about what people and families are going through that you might not have any idea of. So that was Genderqueer, a memoir by Maya Kobabi. Okay, so my next one is Romantic Comedy by Curtis Sittenfeld. Oh, you know, I just did that romance bookstore story, and this book is all the rage. It's kind of a crossover novel between literary fiction and romance. Exactly, because you would think, well, have you read any of Curtis Sittenfeld's other books? I have, and American Wife 
is a favorite. I remember reading and loving that book. Well, I started reading her with her first novel, which was Prep. I followed her throughout her career. So this one felt a little, it was a departure from those others. This is, uh, it's the story of a late night live TV show called The Night Owl, which is modeled after Saturday Night Live. It is about this woman named Sally Mills. She's one of the writers for the show. And she comes up with this sketch because her her office mate is is also one of the writers. And he meets and falls in love with an actress who comes on the show. Like the guest star? Yes, the Mm -hmm. guest host. So she comes up with this sketch, and she calls it the Danny Horst Rule, which describes, and this is a quote, the not-so-exclusive group of talented but average-looking and even dorky men at the show and in society at large who've gotten romantically involved with incredibly beautiful and accomplished women. And so when I first read that, I thought, you know, Emma Stone. She married uh-huh. one of the writers from SNL. She married um, Dave McCary. She did? Yeah, and had has children. Really? At least one child with him. I don't know enough celebrity news. Um, and then a friend of mine said, oh, I thought of Pete Davidson. Oh, who- right. <laughs> who has dated any number of yes, celebrity women. That's right. And so she develops the sketch that she wants to mock these relationships because the, the reverse never happens. You know, some hot person who comes on the show never falls with one of the average looking yeah, female writers. Until that very next week, this singer comes on the show. He's both, you know, the musical host and the guest host. His name is Noah. They just have incredible chemistry. Oh. Yes. And so it was fun. It was intelligent. And it was just a fun book, a a really great summer read, I would think. I think so, too. This is definitely on my list for summer, actually. And so does she then write the sketches themselves? Are they in the book? She writes some. She is... um, I love a story. I love a movie within a movie, a book within a book sort of thing. She writes... um, So we get kind of a behind-the-scenes look, and... As I was reading this, it reminded me of Gridiron in a way, <laughs> except they are on a much they're, smaller they're, scale. Their 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 timeline is is truncated because like they start at the beginning of the week on a Monday, and that's when they they're pitching their sketches. That has always fascinated me about SNL, just this whole that week of yes. how intense that must be, and so you could see that the relationships could also also have that intensity to exactly them. I mean she's sleeping at the office she rarely goes home during that week I mean I, I think it's Sunday to Monday is when she kind of just hangs out at home wow but in in the pitch meeting she happens to pitch like three sketches and it's the first time ever that like somebody got three sketches picked up and so they would go through like rehearsals and you know the back and forth of writing the sketch and maybe we should do this this is more you know this is a little bit funnier or and this guest, who she had just pegged as a dumb person, mm-hmm. you know, he's bringing intelligent insight into the sketches. And I don't know, it was a lot of fun. Just a kind of behind the scenes look of how it goes down. People forget that Saturday Night Live is live. Yeah. It's not God. pre-recorded. And so, um, yeah, it was just fun. And there are so many, uh, there have been sort of tell-alls about Saturday Night Live, too. So I would think that this fictionalization of that this you know taking the story and running with it in a in a fiction way would be appealing to anyone who likes those sorts of things too yeah if you want something that is is light yet 
smart, mm-hmm. I, I highly recommend Romantic Comedy by Curtis Sittenfeld. Excellent. That is going on my list, Beth. My next one is uh, the one I just reviewed. It's, again, at KMUW.org, The Marriage Act by John Mars. I do not know how this book came into my life. <laughs> However, you know, I love I love dystopia. I'm talking about another dystopian novel here, so that's probably how it came into my life. But John Mars is a British author. This book is set, again, in a near-future dystopia where... A right-wing government has decided that marriage is good for people in general. They have all these statistics to prove it. You know, people live longer. They're healthier if they're in a committed relationship. Uh, But it goes, as dystopian novels do, a little too far. And in this near future, you can sign up for what's called a smart marriage. You sign a contract for a smart marriage under this government regime. And when you do that, you get all of these benefits. You get lower taxes, you get health care priority, you get better schools for your kids, scholarships for their college, you get low interest business loans, you get all of these things from the government for just the small, small price of agreeing to have every minute of your life recorded. <laughs> in your home with a very Alexa-like device called an Audite. So the government is monitoring conversations that you have with your spouse and will alert you if there's something in the recording that maybe sounds like you could be having troubles. And then there are different levels. Hmm. So this one has nods to Mars's previous works, including The One and The Passengers. I did not read those, but from what I understand, The One is about a DNA swab soulmate match service. The Passengers is one about self-driving vehicles. So I love these sort of black mirror technology gone awry or technology taken way to the nth degree and and what are the consequences of that I love those stories this one takes a look at this particular world through the eyes of four different couples including an elderly couple that never signed up for a smart marriage what they go through uh, young couples that are trying to you know figure out whether they want to go this route or not Um, and then these relationship counselors that come in and and I'm doing air quotes here, help you through your marriage troubles if they uh, sense something is going wrong. It was great. You know, I could see this being, you know, sort of a Netflix movie or limited series or something. The premise is fantastic. Mm. I love where he goes with this. Again, it's The Marriage Act by John Mars. Okay, my next one is another good summer read. It's Happy Place by Emily Henry. Oh, again. You, you, you've got all the happy books today. Beth. I guess I do. Well, except for the first few. You <laughs> okay, I guess I don't. <laughs> so um, Emily Henry is, she is one of the hot authors right now in the romance genre, a genre I typically do not read. I did interview her for her book, um, Book Lovers. And so this is, it's a second chance romance and it's about Harriet. Which is, which is a romance trope. Yes. Mm-hmm. It's about Harriet and Wynne. They're meeting up one weekend at this Cape Cod mansion type place. There's six friends who they come back every year for the same weekend for some lobster fest weekend or something. Mm. And <laughs> you had me at lobster fest. <laughs> 
And so when she comes back for this weekend with her two friends that she met, as, they were college roommates her freshman year, and that's how they became fast friends. So she's coming back for this weekend with them, and when she gets to the, the house, Wynn is there. Wynn is her fiancé. They met through this group of friends. Their relationship is 10 years long, but they hadn't told any of their friends that they had broken it off like five months prior. So they have to live with this week pretending that they're still a couple because they're being surprised with the wedding of, of another couple there. And it shows that week of how, you know, the love is still there. But then we get retrospective chapters looking back at how we have come to this place oh neat so, so. different sort of a uh, staggered timeline yes and oh i love that yeah i hear great stuff about her work she's a smart writer yeah i did a story recently on a new romance bookstore that opened here in wichita and the owner of that bookstore is a huge emily they're called emily girlies by the way oh wow emily Henry fans <laughs> um so i yeah she's definitely on my list and summer's the perfect time you know in addition to the romance she explores what it is to be a family you know the the level of friendships and as I heard in your story, these aren't like bodice ripper right. romance books. No, a lot of them are like those Hallmark, you know, yes. movies that everyone loves. And, you know, sometimes it's nice to, you know, just read a light, bright, happy book. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All for that. That's great. Yeah. So that's Happy Place by Emily Henry. Okay. My last one uh, is one I just finished this morning, Beth. It's called The Guest Lecture by Martin Riker. I heard about this book through Rebecca Mackay. She oh, was on yeah. a podcast talking about, I believe she was on Sarah's Bookshelves Live, which is an f- excellent book podcast. She was talking about some uh, books that she was excited about or liked. And this is one that she mentioned, and I had never heard of it before. It's a paperback original, and it's very, very strange. The premise of this book is there's the main character, Abby, is in a hotel room with her husband and daughter, And the next day, she is going to deliver this lecture at a university. She's an economist, and she's going to deliver a lecture on John Maynard Keynes, the famed economist. That's the premise, Beth. She's mentally preparing for this lecture she's supposed to give the next day. She's sleepless for most of the night. Her mind, it's just giving me chills to think about it now. The way that structure is so fascinating to me. So she starts to organize her thoughts and prepare for this lecture by envisioning, and this is apparently a technique I wasn't aware of. You envision your lecture as going through different rooms of your house. So different parts of the lecture are in different rooms. So she's going through her imaginary house starting with the living room and then the dining room and she's joined by her imaginary friend John Maynard Keynes himself so she and Keynes are going through this house talking about how she's going to get through this lecture what she's going to talk about and needless to say she goes off on many a tangent about her life her decisions she's made in the past people who have influenced her her love and anger for her spouse, her decision to have a child. I mean, everything is covered here, almost like a fever dream. I know I've had sleepless nights where your mind just goes off on these almost uncontrollable sorts of branches, (laughs) creeks and tributaries, and you can't, it's hard to pull back. What an interesting structure. I I mean, Rebecca Mackay raved about it, 
and I can see why it is an incredibly smart, interesting, original way to tell a story. And this guy really does it. Again, it's not going to be for everybody. It's highly cerebral. There are parts of the book where you're, I know I, for one, was going, what, what exactly is happening here? But it just, it pulls you along enough. And if you've ever had that experience of, A, procrastinating to the point of being unprepared for something the next day, and B, staying up at night, you know, worried about it, I think you, you can identify with what this woman is going through. Even the details about how you're lying there in bed and hearing the air conditioner in the hotel and the different sounds it makes and you're like she's describing the different sounds of the air conditioner in her room and it's it's just incredible it's an incredibly written novel i really enjoyed it it's only about 200 pages so it's a quick it's not like you're not going to be with this woman in her sleepless night for 700 pages but it's just perfect i liked it a, a lot that is the guest lecture by martin Riker. it reminds me of one um i've i interviewed eliza minot last month, and she wrote a book called In the Orchard. You know, the Minot family is very literary. They're made up of seven siblings, and each of them has their own literary aspirations and success, and Eliza is the youngest. In in real life? In real life. Okay. But the book is about, um, it follows Maisie. She's the mother of four, and it follows her throughout just one day. And so, you know, what you're describing just made me immediately go, oh, oh, yeah, that book that I read. Yeah. So, yeah. I love that could be a good category for the challenge, couldn't it, Beth? Like a book told in one day or one night. Mouth to mouth would be a good one for that. Yes, that's on my list. I think I have your copy of it, by the way. By the way, if anyone has Beth's copy, <laughs> if anyone has Beth's copy of Killers of the Flower Moon by David Grand, she's looking for it. <laughs> You'll know it's mine because it has my name inscribed in it by the author. Now, I willingly loaned it out. I know, but still. Get I just it back don't to remember. It. <laughs> <laughs> I knew there was something else I wanted to talk about today. That is funny. We are both very generous with our books, but then there, there, are, there are times when it's like, wait, where is that? And it's signed. So if if you happen to know the whereabouts of Beth's <laughs> Killers of the Flower Moon book, get to us. Uh, write to podcasts at kmuw.org. Thank you, Suzanne, <laughs> for that public service message. <laughs> um, what's your next book, Beth? My next book is called Symphony of Secrets by Brendan Slocum. Ba, 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 da, da, ba, ba. I loved it. Suzanne has read it and reviewed it. It is our literary feast book. Cl- uh, we have a public radio book club here at the station. It is our June read. We'll be discussing that on June 21st. You can get tickets at kmuw.org. Right. Um, And I interviewed him last Friday. Yeah. And it's my second time talking to him. Yes. And he just seems so delightful. He is so delightful. I, you know, his first book was The Violin Conspiracy. I I spoke with him last fall about that. It came out uh, more than a year ago. And it was a debut novel that just went into the stratosphere. Yes. People loved that book. This one, Symphony of Secrets, it tackled this composer, Frederick Delaney, who had written this opera, Five Colors of the Olympic Rings. And it was so well received, but the final opera red came out and it was a big flop and you you know you 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 realize early on what had happened that he had not written these at all and you know they come to discover or they come to suspect that these operas were written by a a black autistic woman who had her works stolen from her so anyway symphony of secrets is 
it just follows that whole story. It is fascinating. I loved the character of Josephine. And Brendan Slocum does such a wonderful job of describing how she experiences music. She's basically a savant, and she visualizes colors mm-hmm. and experiences it in a way that you know most people do not. And he describes that so well, I think. He's a really fantastic writer. He did tell me that all of his books that he writes will have to do well here. Let me let me just have you listen to what he had to say. I'm going to be the Stephen King of <laughs> musical thrillers. That is my goal. You think Stephen King, you think horror, with the exception of Stand By Me. Um, but I am going to totally, every one of my books is going to have some type of musical element to it. And my next one involves a cellist and witness protection. <laughs> the Stephen King of music thrillers. I love it. I, absolutely I do, love it. too. <laughs> you grab on to that genre, Brendan Slocum, because you are doing a bang up job on that. I loved this novel. Yeah. And in the next one, you know, look, look for a character with my name who may or may not be evil. <laughs> oh, yeah. I love that, too. We'll Probably see. not the next one. <laughs> I hope we see a Beth in his future works. That was so good, and I am looking forward to um, hearing that interview. Thank you. All right. I do have a correction, um, and this is an author I interviewed. But I said that I was speaking to Bonnie Garmus for Lessons in Chemistry because the paperback was coming out. No, it's still in hardcover. It's the... We're the Crawdads sing of 2022. It's the A Gentleman in Moscow of 2022. So there are these, and and who can blame right. the publisher if they're still selling like hotcakes in hardcover? You don't release a paperback. So good for her. Way That's to go, right. Bonnie Garmas. Lessons in Chemistry. You enjoyed that book? I did. Oh. And it, it's coming out on Apple TV with. Um, What's Brie Larson is, is oh, pl- plays the main character. That's perfect. It's coming out so, soon. So many adaptations these yeah. days. It was an understandable mistake, Beth, because usually the paperback <laughs> would have been out by now. That's right. Yeah. So um, real quickly, I wanted to talk just a bit about gearing up for summer reading. You know, I was, I'm not a student anymore. Sometimes I wish I was, but then I think about the homework. <laughs> uh, but what I loved as a student, it's like, what's your favorite subject? Lunch. What's your, what's your favorite thing about being a student? Summer vacation. I love summer reading. And I still, at my age, at my middle age, still go into summer, you know, around Memorial Day weekend thinking, what am I going to read this summer outside in the hammock or on vacation or in a plane? All these places that you read in the summer that, you know, are just a little bit different environment. And I was putting together a stack of books and I realized my summer reading probably varies, but then everyone has their own approach to how they collect books to read in the summer. So I am looking at my stack of books that I had pulled for summer reading and I had to share some of these with you. One of them is The Family Fang by Kevin. Oh yeah, I have it. The Family, ding, The Family Fang by Kevin Wilson. Um, That's one of his earlier works, and I love his more recent stuff, Nothing to See Here and Now is Not the Time to Panic, came out more recently. This is his backlist. So that is one thing I like to do during the summer is go into favorite author's backlist and sort of explore that. I have a rom-com in my stack because of all the talk about the romance genre. That is Nora Goes Off Script by Annabelle Monaghan. I have many, many 
what Beth, I, <laughs> I have many, many Beth made me do it books in my stack, including Search by Michelle Hunovan. Yeah. I have, you loved it. I've since heard about it from several different book twins of mine. And it's, this is a novel about searching for a new pastor mm-hmm. for a universalist uh, church. I have Dreamers by Karen Thompson Walker, uh, which is about, again, a sort of dystopian novel where people go to sleep and they don't know why. Did they're she going. write um, the one where the, the world stop, stops spinning? Yes, she wrote The Age of Miracles and came to Wichita, I believe, to yes, talk about that. Yes. Um, but this is the one that came out before that called The Dreamers. Um, I have Inciting Joy by Ross Gay, just because that was all the rage around the holidays, and I finally want to get to it. And Inciting Joy is on my summer list because it's little snippets of things. It's just oh, it's nice. essays, so I can sort of sprinkle those throughout my summer. And it has a beautiful flowered <laughs> cover that looks good. Um, the other couple are Solito by Javier Zamora. That's a very difficult read, I understand. It's an immigrant story about a um, young boy coming up from South America, I believe, into the country and all of what he experiences. But for some reason, I put that on my summer list. I think it's because he's going to be going through some hot <laughs> climates and things like that. Mary Jane by Jessica Anya Blau is on my list. That's a young girl babysits over the summer for a family and and learns interesting things about them and then finally pew by katherine lacy oh yeah and this is recommended by our friend Kristen gilbert at exile in bookville in chicago this was on her when it was independent bookstore day and we were looking for things to order I ordered this one because uh, it was on Kristen's list. So that's Pew by Catherine Lacey. I don't really know what that's about, but that's good. Sometimes it's good to not know much about what you're getting into. That, this is my stack that I'm going to pull from through the summer. That's, you know, in addition to my books that I'm reviewing that will be more recent releases. But that's kind of how I... That's kind of how I gear up for my summer reading. I get excited. I look for things that I think might be good to read in the summer. Do you have any sort of routine like that that you do? I want to just tackle things that I've had that I didn't get around to finishing. Yes. And I will say Catherine Lacey just had another book come out called The Biography of X. That's right. I have it. And um, our same friend Kristen said if it doesn't win the National Book Award, she's going to be very upset. Wow. Not, not okay. her words, but very, very <laughs> upset. <laughs> um, so Biography of X is one that I hope to get to. But for the summer reading, I plan to finish Dreyer's English by Benjamin Dreyer. Oh, that's a good one. And it's one that I will just have to do, you know, here and there because it's it's a book about you know writing or proper English and it's a style book yeah right? yeah, yeah, yeah 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 he's a copy editor mm-hmm. or he's the head copy editor for Random House and the New York Times I thought what, didn't he? he have I think he had his start at the New York Times as a copy Could editor be. but he's hilarious yes <laughs> grammar with humor yeah and then the other one I want to read a swim in a pond in the rain in which four Russians give a master class on writing, reading, and life by George Saunders. George Saunders is a great summer read. But then I want to read his, I don't know that I've ever read 
Lincoln in the Bar. I haven't. I, and tenth uh, of December. So I, I want to read. I want to read George Saunders this summer. That's a great idea too. Just declare it the summer of Saunders. There you go. It's the summer of Saunders. I love that. And for you, that's Beth. the title of our podcast. <laughs> it's the summer of Saunders. <laughs> it's Suzanne's big show in the summer of Saunders. I love it. That's a great idea. Just really, really get into one author. That's another mm-hmm. way to do it. You know, I don't have the. Attend, you know, I'm a little ADD, and I couldn't do that. But you sure can. But this, I mean, these three that I've just mentioned, one is, it's a, it's basically what he teaches at Syracuse. On He teaches a, a class on the Russian writers. So he walks you through that in a, a Swim in a Pond in the Rain. And then Lincoln in the Bardo is a novel. The 10th of December, it's a collection of stories, which I have read some of them. But it's, you know, we have three different genres you there. Do, there's your June, July, and August. There you go. Oh, my gosh. I am so excited about this for you. you. you I can't are. wait to hear about it. Well, and I would suggest, even though I did not take it in this way, I would suggest Lincoln in the Bardo on audio. It won an Audi, I believe. Okay. I, I, I've heard nothing but great things. It's an ensemble cast doing that, and I just think that would be a really, including David Sedaris is one of the voices oh, there you on go. that. Uh, I read Lincoln and the Bardo several years ago and loved it, loved it. It was so unusual, the structure of that book, the premise, everything. That is, I am excited for your Summer of Saunders. Thank you. Well, that sounds like a good place to stop. So until next month. Keep turning those pages. Bye-bye. Bye. Books and Whatnot is a production of KMUW Wichita. Our team of engineers, producers, editors, and hosts are Mark Statzer, Torin Anderson, Haley Krausen, Jonathan Hubert, Luann Stevens, Harley Cooper, Beth Golay, and Suzanne Perez. You can reach us by email sent to podcasts at kmuw.org, on Twitter at Books and Whatnot, and on Instagram, books underscore and underscore whatnot. Find more conversations and a list of books discussed in this episode at kmuw.org.